Hey, are you going to Gen Con? Well, guess what? So are Rudy Basso, Jeff Greiner, and I. And on Friday night at 8.30 p.m. of Gen Con, we will be at Tavern on South, and we want to meet with you. That's right. If you are going to Gen Con that Friday at 8.30, Tavern on South, it's a bar and restaurant, it's less than a block from the convention center, it's at 423 West South Street in Indianapolis. We will be there. We're going to be hanging out in the bar section. Come meet with us. Tell us what you think about the show. Maybe play a game with us. We don't know what we're going to be doing, but we want to meet fans of the Tome Show. Follow Jeff Greiner on Twitter at Squatch. That's at S-Q-U-A-C-H. He's the commander-in-chief of the Tome Show and the Tome Show Network, and a regular roundtable panelist. Rudy Basso of the D&D V&G podcast and regular panelist on the roundtable. You can follow him on Twitter at R-U-D-Y-B-A-S-S-O, and you can follow me on Twitter at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Follow us there. We'll be sending you pictures of where we are at Gen Con and what we're doing. So even if you can't meet up with us on Friday night, you can meet up with us probably at another time. We have a lot of games scheduled, but we'd love to meet with you. So go follow us on Twitter. Follow The Tome Show on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetomeshow. So if you want to come check us out, like I said, 8.30, Friday night of Gen Con, Tavern on South. Follow us on Twitter to get other updates. All right, let's start the show. Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intracasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. It's where Out of Print is available again. They have D&D and a ton of other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. Let's hear a quick word from them. Noble Knight is an online game store. D&D, they got that and more. And if you think out-of-print games are nice, shop Noble Knight, cause they've got the best price. And if you got gaming products to sell, then Noble Knight will buy them as well. So go to the place where gaming's the bomb and head over to noblenight.com. And don't forget to tell them the Tone Show sent you. All right, today we're talking about the already fully funded, amazing Kickstarter for Legendary Planet from Legendary Games. Let's meet the panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. What are you doing for Legendary Planet, and what's your background in game design? And let's start with you, Neil Spicer. Absolutely. So thanks for having us. Uh, my background in gaming so far has um, stretched over a handful of years. I want to say about a decade ago, I kind of dabbled with freelancing, but uh, my career kind of took off in 2009 by winning uh, the RPG Superstar Contest that Paizo puts on annually. Uh, that was the second year of the contest. Followed that up with 
eight different since then. I think I'm probably in their top four most prolific authors in their adventure path in terms of the sheer number that I've done so far. And in fact, we have a number of authors on the Legendary Games uh, overall design team uh, who are contributing to this project who have done the same. Um, and so that's kind of where I've cut my teeth is adventure writing, a little bit of world building, um, and uh, certainly character creation and, uh, and evolving characters over the, the span of the of of story within the adventure. Absolutely. And we are very familiar with the RPG superstar because Stephen Helt uh, has been on this podcast before and walked us through, uh, you know, how that works and everything. And I think we're going to hear his name possibly again in this podcast because he might be working with you guys on Legendary Planet, which is pretty cool. He just might be. That's right. Uh, and let's, of course, not count out Jim Groves. Jim, how are you? Good, and uh, thank you for having us. You guys are welcome anytime, anytime. I love the stuff that Legendary is putting out there. So, Jim, talk to me a little bit about your background in game design and what you're doing for Legendary Planet. Very similarly uh, to Neil, I'm an RPG Superstar alumni. I was, uh, I, I think, a year after Neil, maybe two years after Neil, and I ranked in the top four. And I did, didn't get a right, uh, chance to write a module at, at that, uh, but I cut my teeth with Pathfinder Society, writing about four scenarios. And I gradually graduated up to a module, and then I started writing APs, as Neil did. He's got more under his belt, but I think, last I counted, I'm at six. Possibly could be working up on the seventh. <laughs> uh, and I've, uh, I've worked on every single product line uh, Paizo has for the Pathfinder RPG. I've done the companions. I've done the uh, campaign setting. I've worked over with the mechanics side. But my, my true love is adventure design. Oh, and for um, this particular uh, product or, or for this campaign, I'm writing Chapter 1 uh, of, of the Adventure Pass series. My colleague Tom Phillips is writing kind of a special prequel that we've set up for that. Nice. Well, I think congratulations are in order before we get into the meat of this, because this is a thing that people who want to back the project should know. It's already a go. You guys are already almost, as of the recording of this podcast, 600% funded, which is great. But there's a lot of really, really great stretch goals that we'll talk about that they should help you get to, because I want to get those products uh, so I want to make sure that everybody out there is contributing to this campaign so I can get uh, the adventure path from levels 1 all the way up through 20. But before we get into all of that, guys, hit me with it. What is Legendary Planet? So Legendary Planet is a brainstorm that I've had for um, several years now. It kind of came out of the original contest that Wizards of the Coast had put on for um, you know, coming up with a campaign setting. Um, and I didn't really submit this particular idea, but it was in my mind half formed. Um, you know, that, that contest went on to produce campaigns like Eberron and, uh, some others that have taken form since then. But I always had this idea in the back of my mind of a sword and planet genre, uh, campaign setting and really an adventure path that, uh, over those years, when I first started imagining it kind of collided with other things that were happening, uh, over the past few years, for instance, uh, with uh, John Carter of Mars and you know, Barsoom, the Edgar Rice Burroughs series of sword and planet genre um, novels, uh, that fiction kind of informs um, the ideas that I had around this campaign setting and this adventure path. And then uh, you know, even things like the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe and the idea that uh, there's a there's a broader 
or larger universe out there that you know the, the heroes, at least on Earth, don't necessarily know yet, but they're about to become a part of it. That whole notion of opening up a broader sense of where you are in the universe is kind of what this adventure path is really all about. And uh, it's meant to be able to bridge between campaign settings or even act as, a, as an umbrella campaign setting so that you know, GMs don't really have to discard or leave behind the uh, campaigns that they're already running. So if you want to bring characters that are you know, in your homebrew uh, planet campaign setting, you can just have that be a planet within our larger universe and have your characters kind of go off world and go on this, this broader uh, quest that spans many worlds uh, as a result of our adventure path. So uh, it's meant to be epic. It's meant to evoke a lot of the same tropes and themes that you see in, uh, in John Carter of Mars. If there's a reason it's called Sword and Planet. The emphasis is kind of on the sword. Although there may be some levels of technology, it's not going to be hard science fiction level technology. We're not going to have starships, for instance, as the means for passing between worlds. Um, and that's very intentional. We wanted to keep the focus on the planet. That's why we're calling it Legendary Planet. Mm-hmm. But the uh, way between worlds is really through gateways. So it, it kind of evokes some notions of Stargate or Planescape or things along those lines that folks might be in, uh, familiar with. But the idea is that uh, you'll, you'll bridge from your world to the next through these ancient artifacts that were built by civilization that died out long ago. And they're what uh, are able to um, connect worlds together and kind of a network across the stars. Um, and some of those gates are so old that they've, they've kind of died out or they've gone dormant. And the PCs will have opportunities to reactivate some of them and open up other arms of the multiverse uh, to exploration and, and contact again with those lost contact with, uh, with those who lived on other planets before. Uh, but at the same time, the, the method by which they kind of get thrust into this campaign is that um, they're going to be alien abductees, basically, uh, in, in advance of an, of an incursion of their own homeworld. But in the process of escaping the uh, facility where they're imprisoned, um, they'll break the gate that connects to their world at the same time they're able to escape into the broader multiverse. And so there's a little bit of a lost in space vibe that's going to be in there, too, because they're going to be constantly trying to find their way home again. At the same time, they're trying to assure that the uh, alien incursion can never take place uh, to threaten their loved ones back home. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. That's a pretty cool idea uh, for a campaign setting and sort of, uh, you know, hook overall. But then also the story sounds great, that you have these sort of A and B storylines of we have to stop this alien incursion and we have to get home at the same time. Uh, it's nice to hit the players from a few angles, give them a few things to do, uh, sort of ups the tension and everything. So... Jim, you are writing sort of the the first part of this uh, main adventure. Uh, So how do things go for people at the beginning? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, Neil worked out a very, very exciting beginning, and I grabbed a hold of of it. We kind of have an in-media res beginning where really, if you're familiar with like The Matrix, and I don't want to... You know, some people are the fans of it and some people aren't. But <laughs> if you remember uh, the first movie when Neo wakes up into the real world mm-hmm. uh, and he's in one of those uh, little capsules hooked up to machines, that's not what we do to the players, but it kind of touches on that. Maybe I'm giving a little spoiler. But basically, when the campaign starts, the uh, the PCs wake up in prison mm-hmm. and they have to break out. And, and literally, the action begins with a bang. 
where they're, they're, they're trying to assess their situation. They're trying to find their equipment, get on their feet quickly and find out where they are and what's happened to them. They don't quite have amnesia, but there is a disconnect from when they, they, they created their characters to the, the actual beginning of the campaign. And from then, it's just kind of pell-mell trying to escape from this prison planet and, and really, as they proceed through the prison, assess what's happened, happened to them and, and try to piece together clues that come gradually where they, they start to form a context of what's going on. And then by the adventure, by the, the end of the adventure, they actually know what's, what's going on and how they, that there's a threat to their home world and how they want to proceed. But we don't give them much information to start with. We start them with a good fight. <laughs> That's great. That's a, always a great way to kick off an adventure path is to put them right in the middle of the action. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the mechanics behind this. Uh, you guys are have designed a lot for Pathfinder and for Paizo, and you are releasing this adventure path for Pathfinder, but you're also releasing it for 5th edition, which I think would be of interest to our listeners. Many of them play both, uh, but a lot of them are, are strictly 5th edition players. Uh, so why did you decide to release this sort of in both formats? Isn't that double the work for you guys? It's... Uh... Um, it's not too bad in terms of the work effort because our authors are going to, given our background in writing for Pathfinder, we're going to write the Pathfinder. But then we've got a lot of fifth edition enthusiasts in our um, in our you know, clubhouse too, and so a lot of those guys are going to jump on converting the material as we're putting it out. And it's intentional for us to produce it both in Pathfinder RPG as well as fifth edition because we wanted to broaden the marketplace for this. This particular type of product, being that it's an adventure path, tends to appeal primarily to GMs, and that automatically kind of narrows your audience or your potential consumer base for buying the product. But if we can make it for multiple systems, and we're hoping to widen that back up again a little bit. Now, some, some players, you know, not just the GM, some players will want to buy the product too because at some point they may plan on turning into a GM and running it for a group as well. So we're, we're, we're hopeful that we can get as many people to back the project as we can. We need as many backers as we can get on it as we can. Uh, right now, as you alluded to before, we're closing in on, I think, $36,000 mark, and that will fund Chapter 5 of the Adventure Path. Uh, it goes up to seven chapters, so we're, we're pretty well through it at this point. But the goal is to produce a, a book that would ultimately be over 700 pages of content that would take characters from Levels 1 all the way up to Level 20. And uh, you know we we're going to make that possible for both Pathfinder and Fifth Edition to give everybody the full range of experience of their characters, so that even when they get kind of to the to the highest point or the capstone abilities for their character, that they'll get those in time to use them in a very epic fashion at the end of the campaign. Well, and one of the things that's really great about that is that Fifth Edition does not have a lot of content for it at the moment. So people who are looking for something different, uh, perhaps something out of the Forgotten Realms, uh, this is a great place to, to start, um, because there's not a lot of published material for 5th edition yet. Um, so, so this, to me, when I saw this, I was like, wow, this is awesome! Uh, and one of the things I think that's really cool is this whole idea of sword and planet. We really don't have anything like that 
you know, for, for either system, uh, as it were. So talk to me a little bit about what sort of new, you know, uh, creatures and technology items and stuff are we going to see because of this sword and planet genre? Right. So a lot of the technological items that are going to show up in the, in the adventure path and even the campaign setting at large is going to border on the magical and fantastic. In other words, it'll be elevated enough from a technological standpoint that it's almost indistinguishable from a magic item to a degree. But, uh, and that's, that's intentional because we didn't want to go into the heavy explanations, much like Sword and Planet doesn't bother to. It doesn't necessarily give you the, the hard science behind everything. It's meant to be fantasy, the same way as medieval fantasy. So we'll still have slug throwers, for instance, in the game. We'll have some energy-type you know, weapons and things, uh, some uh, some level of technologies around the bio weapons and stuff, because some of our uh, villainous uh, alien species are very oriented towards that. That's part of what the alien incursion is going to involve, because the, the prequel adventure of this is called the Assimilation Strain. And uh, for fans of the Andromeda Strain, it's got some some tones about that, you know, from uh, science fiction. But uh, um, the idea is that, that there is the ability to manipulate things at a uh, molecular level. Some of these advanced species and cultures that are out there, and whether they're doing that by hard science or magical uh, level science, you know, or some mix of the two, that's kind of where we're. At. Um, but uh, you know, if, if you've not seen John Carter of Mars the movie, I'd recommend that people go out and get it and take a look at it. And while the main character there starts out kind of in post Civil War uh, Earth and, and goes to Mars, the technology that you see on Mars includes things like rifles uh, with, with you know plug throwing rifles. It includes uh, some level of weapons. There's flying ships there, not starships so much as airships. To, um, the adventure path is going to cost a number of, you know, because we want to introduce campaign setting one chapter at a time. So each chapter of the adventure path is taking place on a different planet. And we're going to include a gazetteer in there to give you an explanation of, of the factions and, and your cultures that are on that planet, as well as the creatures from an alien perspective all the way down to monsters that exist there and technology, uh, but we're going to go across so many different types of worlds that uh, we're going to have an opportunity to really play around with some unique stuff. Um, for instance, just to kind of give you a quick rundown, there'll be a post-apocalyptic planet with kind of some tones of Mad Max and Fury Road. There'll be a tidally locked planet that's kind of a dead world um, that uh, you know is super hot on one side, super cold on the other side with a narrow habitability band in the middle and a lot of underground um, vaults um, that survivors are kind of you know eking out an existence within. Um, there'll be a shattered world, which essentially is a world that got broken apart into asteroids, but the uh, the artifacts that are still present on those asteroids are still conveying a livable atmosphere that's there for the inhabitants that are the squatters that have shown up on it. Um, and again, we're not going to go into the hard science about how all that's possible. Instead, we're just going to use our sword and planet kind of uh, fantasy elements to uh, explain that's just the way that that world is, and that's how things function there. Um, Steve Pelt, that you'd uh, referred to earlier, um, is going to be writing uh, uh, the fifth chapter, and that's place on a water world that had its polar ice caps melted and so everything's been flooded and the civilizations that live there are kind of on the same border as Atlantis to a degree. Um, we're also going to have a gas giant planet with multiple moons, each with their own different environments uh, for folks to experience. And then the final adventure is going to be uh, Go Out With a Bang. Uh, it's titled Kill a Star. So that should kind of give you a hint as to what the goal is there. Yes. But, uh, um, it, is, it is a Dyson sphere planet. So it is a, a Dyson sphere constructed around a star uh, again, not too much of a focus on the hard science of what how's that to be, but these ancient civilizations had the capability to life across the multiverse and to form planets and, and to you know basically coax 
the development. They had a lot of tools at their disposal. Well, they've kind of died out. Uh, those that are left behind, their children, if you will, including the PCs who get introduced to this broader multiverse that didn't know existed before, will have an opportunity to explore a lot of those ruins uh, that those ancient civilizations left behind. And in fact, those are essentially our dungeons, if you will, uh, for, uh, for adventurers to go and experience. That sounds awesome. Uh, I am even more on board than I was before. Uh, you had me at Dyson Sphere. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit, Jim. Uh, you know what? What sort of a taste can you give me? What what's a weird monster that I might see uh, in your chapter? <clears throat> Let me ask Neil. Should I? Uh, should <laughs> should, should well, I, I hint I, at the at, at the Tau's lick a little bit, or pick something else? Well, it's it's kind of funny. We play tested uh, the first part of Jim's adventure at PaizoCon uh, a couple months ago. Um, and the talslet that he's talking about was uh, viewed to be one of the most difficult encounters for these second level characters to uh, to face down. Uh, so uh, we can probably talk a little bit about that, not going into the actual details of exactly what it can do, but it is a mythic creature because we are using some of the mythic rules. But yes. why don't you talk to that? But also, Jim, touch on the uh, the Claven because we have in our newsletter we released the stat blocks for those guys in the the Legendary Games newsletter a while back. Sure, sure. I think the Claven would be a safer bet because the uh, Towslik has a, a surprise element to it that I don't want to wreck for listeners. Um, the Claven are, and we should also we should talk about the assimilation strain a little bit, which is the prequel. But uh, the Claven are, it's basically a template. If you're familiar with Pathfinder, they are people who have been subjected or, or prepared with a kind of a biological weapon, uh, a virus, which is basically prepared these people to be converted into the perfect soldiers. Mm. And the Claven are these humanoids that uh, once they've been properly prepared, they've been altered to, to be extremely strong, extremely obedient to their masters, another race called the Jagaladine, and, uh, and, and turn into these awful killing machines. They're, they're not undead, but they're, they're covered with kind of a, a green armor. The, the, and they're extremely strong and extremely dangerous. And they're kind of, you know, we've got these kind of two interstellar empires that we really haven't discussed too much uh, that I'm aware of. But basically the bad one, the hegemony, uses the Claven as kind of their interstellar shock troopers. And uh, they've been biologically created. And on the prison planet, they're the kind of the guards and one of the iconic enemies that the, the PCs um, actually encounter. If you go to our Kickstarter page, there's a, there's a nice image when you first go to the page that shows kind of a gate and these heroes fighting these strange creatures. Those are actually the Claven. Okay, well, they're horrifying. So, uh, and, and I'm even more terrified now that you've given the description. Uh, actually, let's talk about this art a little bit. Uh, all over the Kickstarter page, there's some really, really awesome art. Is this the you know is is this what we're going to be seeing in this product? Absolutely. Uh, this this artwork, at least the the cover image that Jim's referring to, is uh, done by Tim Kings Lynn, and uh, Tim has uh, done artwork now for a number of the RPG publishing companies. He's done stuff even for uh, Paizo already. So it's intentional that we're involving a lot of the same people that have produced Adventure Path products before. Because they're already familiar with the format and you know what we need basically to make this uh, really soar for legendary games, um, and I've just been so happy with the art that Tim's been producing. In fact, uh, one of the uh, one of the other AP authors, upon seeing uh, not only that cover but also the one for his adventure, which is Chapter Two, 
had said, can we just keep using Tim for every single cover? <laughs> this, this stuff has been amazing. Um, and, it has and been. We would love to, to keep working with him. I've been pushing Jason, uh, the publisher for Legendary Games, to, uh, to have him on board throughout this project as far as we can. Um, but uh, we've got more artwork that's going to go up. I've seen the, uh, the work in progress cover for the second chapter, which again uses these same iconic hero PCs that we have in the art uh, that Jim referenced on the Kickstarter page. And uh, they're in a chase scene uh, aboard uh, basically a, a vehicle that's being pulled by these alien uh, oxen, and they're being chased by a, a hairless knoll-type creatures that are riding uh, these uh, um, basically wild boars, uh, you know, with these great tusks, uh, alien boars across a desert wasteland. And the action, and that's the great thing about Tim's pieces, is that the action just kind of immediately jumps out at you from uh, how he's been able to capture it, you know, and the images that he's been producing. So we've been really, really happy with that. We're going to have some other artists contributing to the internal stuff. Uh, even our cartographer, uh, Pedro, has been doing really, really great work for us as well. Uh, he's produced the maps for the assimilation strain already. That is, uh, in, has gone through development. It's ready to be published now. Uh, when the Kickstarter ends, we're planning on dropping that on people in PDF form right away. So people will have something as soon as the Kickstarter is done to look through and get an idea of what the product's going to look like for the larger book. <laughs> but... Um, Working with Jim right now, we're, we're close to having things going through the development cycle for Chapter 1 as well, and we're hoping to have that one ready as soon after the uh, Kickstarter is done, too. Wow, that is awesome. Uh, it is rare that a Kickstarter ends and you immediately get something. So let's talk then a little bit about the people who are working on this. You've mentioned some great names so far. Uh, drop a few more names for me. Who, who, which other superstars are working on this project? So Chapter 2 is uh, being written by Mike Shell. A lot of people may know him. Uh, he's done a, a number of adventures for Paizo and the Adventure Paths as well. Uh, he also wrote a very popular adventure in Dungeon Magazine, The Mud Sorcerer's Tomb, from uh, many years back. We've got uh, Matt Goodall, another RPG Superstar winner, uh, doing uh, Chapter 3. Matt uh, beat me in the, the contest, matter of fact. Oh. Yeah, that was, that was the contest that Jim uh, was in. So Jim was in Top 4. Matt was the actual winner that year. Uh, chapter four is uh, going to be written by Richard Pett. A lot of people know him. He's been very prolific in the APs for uh, Paizo. And uh, I already mentioned Steve Helt is going to be uh, writing chapter five as soon as that funds. And we're only a few hundred dollars away from making that happen in the Kickstarter now. Uh, if chapter six is funded, that's going to be written by Tim Hitchcock. And I don't know anybody who's been as prolific as Tim across all the various third-party publishers and Paizo Adventure Paths as well. He, he, like me, is also in kind of the top four, along with Richard Pett and I think Greg Vaughn, in terms of the number of Adventure Paths that we've written so far. And Jim's not far behind us, as he mentioned. He's on six or seven now. The uh, final chapter will be written by the publisher of Legendary Games, Jason Nelson, um, who has done a tremendous amount of work, not only in Adventure Paths, but also uh, if you crack open any of the rule books for Pathfinder, uh, his name is in there, and there's a big reason why. He's written a lot of that content, and uh, he's also been writing a lot of the content for Legendary Games uh, to date, including uh, a lot of stuff from our prior Kickstarter, which was the Mythic Mania Kickstarter. Yeah, Jason's very talented, both on the mechanical end and the adventure writing end. Let me drop a couple other names for you, too, because we've not talked about, beyond just the adventures, the other content that's going to be in uh, the uh, overall Adventure Path product. And that is, um, you know, we have all these back articles, back matter articles that are in there too. 
I mentioned before about a gazetteer for the planets that we're going to visit, and obviously there'll be a bestiary section for the monsters and whatnot. But we're going to have uh, fiction. It's going to accompany each chapter. There'll be seven short stories written by Chris A. Jackson, who is a, uh, a very popular author for the Pathfinder Tales line um, for Paizo. And he's also uh, got a number of his own standalone books that he's been publishing as well. Um, and we've got some other authors that we've signed on because each chapter of the Adventure Path is going to include at least one bonus article, about six pages of content. And at least for the chapter one, uh, we've already announced that uh, that's going to include a uh, 20 core new deities for our um, campaign setting. That's going to be written by Sean K. Reynolds, who has a track record of writing a lot of the uh, gods and deities content for everything from uh, Forgotten Realms all the way up through uh, uh, Paizo's Galarian campaign setting. You've mentioned this as a campaign setting before, and if your plan is to create a 700-page adventure path, it sounds to me like if I play through the adventure but I still want to stay in this legendary planet setting, I'm going to have enough material to do that. You will, absolutely. What we're doing with these Gazetteer articles by introducing seven different star systems, if you will, and the planet, at least the primary planet of those star systems, and this gateway network of connecting between all the worlds is that we're really creating the foundation or the building blocks for another product that we'll probably do a year or so down the road, which will be the broader legendary worlds campaign setting. Uh, the legendary planet adventure path is just specifically taking you through a, a almost guided tour of the worlds that matter the most. But by the time you get to the end of the adventure path, you're going to have established a certain state of what the, the multiverse is in uh, as a result of the epic saga that you live out with your PC. And that that state at the end of that adventure path is what's going to be the current state of the, of the campaign setting when it gets published. There'll be an assumption that certain actions were taken by uh, you know, PCs as they ascended into uh, you know, legendary status as the heroes that kind of became in some ways the guardians of the multiverse uh, through the actions that they take in this adventure path. So we'll get to an actual campaign setting eventually. Uh, It's intentional not to try and do our efforts to do the campaign setting first because we want to get the adventure out there as a means of introducing it in smaller chunks for people to process rather than just dumping a giant campaign setting on it on folks and asking them to kind of read through all of that content and, you know, invest themselves in it. Jim, can you talk to me a little bit about what it's been like to design in this campaign setting? Well, it, 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 it's been exciting, and, and, and I'm going to be quite frank. It's been challenging. <laughs> um, I, I've talked to, to, to Deal on the side, and I, I've said this is probably the most ambitious and difficult project I've, I've worked on, not in a way that, that it's not good, but th- there's just certain challenges because – you know, we are creating the campaign setting and we have, it, it, it sort of harkens. If you're familiar with rise of the rune Lords, Paizo mm-hmm. kind of did a similar thing when they created rise of the rune Lords, they created a couple nations to support their adventure path. And they expanded outwards to make their world. We're doing something on a much greater scale. And, and while we're not trying to shovel an entire campaign setting at a, at a GM at all in one moment, we're creating a lot more infrastructure than what they initially had to do. But how has it felt for me? It's how oh, it's been exciting. Um, I have actually, you know, I'm starting to look at the other authors and some of the, the ideas and concepts that I helped to put together in chapter one. 
are now being taken by other authors and expanded upon. And it's like that the whole big picture is starting to flesh out. And when you see, I was right there at the, the foundation, uh, that really fires me up. Uh, recently, we, we talked about some fiction that might be appearing in the adventure path. I read it and it just, it blew my mind because I can't, you know, I worked on the Gazetteer for the, one of the, the first locations in chapter one. And then I saw another professional author, a professional novelist taking those ideas and concepts, locations and names, taking them and bringing them to life in an actual short story. Uh, I'd never, I'd never experienced anything like it. Matter of fact, Neil had to like, Hey, go ahead. You should read this. <laughs> and, 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 and I sat down and I said, I better read it and make sure that, it, that it's cool. And I almost fell out of my chair because it was so exciting. On the other hand, it's, it's easily to be a little daunted by the experience. Mm-hmm. So it's been both thrilling and challenging. Well, I, I mean, this sounds like a super ambitious, but super fun and super original thing that you guys are doing. I'm, I am so excited. I cannot wait to get my hands on this, people. Little yeah, it's bit. ambitious, but we're up to the challenge. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. that I mean, the fact that you guys are already going to have some things to go as soon as the Kickstarter is over tells us that you are prepared. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, different sort of fundraising goals and everything that you have. Like you said, right now you're funded all the way up to Chapter 5 of the adventure, uh, which takes people all the way to, it looks like, 17th level. Pretty awesome. Uh, That's further than any published WotC adventure for 5th edition takes people at the moment. Um, That's uh, that's actually usually the upper limit of what even a Paizo adventure path gets you to, but... Uh, we've had a lot of folks say before, why don't you, you know, take us to 20th level? Because we, we've been playing these characters. We never get to get up to the highest level in our you know, maximum capability and then be able to play that at the table and doing something. So um, some folks have asked for capstone adventures, you know, to, to adventure paths. Uh, we decided to write this one and go the extra mile in producing you know, a couple of extra chapters if you count the prequel as a chapter and then tack on one more at the end. Because normally adventure paths come in about six chapters. We're doing ours across a prequel adventure and then seven chapters to get you all the way up to the end. Let's talk a little bit about the people out there. They want to help me get that seventh chapter. So uh, let's talk about what they can do. Obviously, uh, they can check out the Kickstarter, which will be uh, you know, linked. I know it's linked over at Legendary Games. It's also going to be linked on our website over at thetomeshow.com. Um, and when people get there, they're going to see a bunch of different pledge levels. Why don't you talk to me sort of the basics about what each pledge level is? Sure. So for, for those who just want to dabble a little bit and kind of get a sense of it, they can just sign on for a very low commitment of, of $20 and they'll pick up a, a PDF copy of the first two adventures, the prequel adventure and then Jim's Adventure Chapter 1. And to kind of test the waters, if that's all they want to do, they can do that and then wait for the larger product to come out and then buy it. But we got to get this thing you know, funded through the Kickstarter in order for that larger product to manifest. So we really need more people to back at the higher levels. Uh, the higher levels, if you want to just get an electronic copy of everything in PDF form, you can pledge $100, and you can get that in either Pathfinder RPG or in 5th edition. And that will get you all eight adventures. So, you know, do the math, $100 divided by eight, and that's about what the cost is per PDF. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's going to be well over 700 pages of content. It's going to include some other bonus content, which has been opened up as we've hit certain uh, bonus goals already. 
I'll touch on that maybe towards the end of, of reviewing the pledges. But uh, if you want a copy of the hardback book, as well as a copy of the PDFs that accompany it, it's uh, the pledge is only $140. So basically for another $40 on top of the PDFs, you're getting a hard copy of the book in addition to, uh, to the electronic stuff. Um, and you know, from there we've got some higher end pledges that people can do if they want to, uh, have an opportunity to help us flesh out the, the campaign setting and the adventure paths a little bit. For instance, you can pledge at certain levels to sponsor a, uh, a, a monster in the setting. You can pledge at a certain level and uh, have the opportunity to assist these authors as they create the solar system where their planet is located. There's an opportunity to kind of flesh out and name some of those worlds. I mean, you can literally make your mark on our campaign setting, subject to approval, you know, by the, by the lead developer, by me. We don't want to go crazy with people naming planets after themselves. <laughs> and stuff. Uh, right, you right. can also you can also help, uh, you know, naming cities or organizations or even NPCs that folks can contribute to. Uh, there's certain pledge levels that let them make their mark in that manner as well. Um, and, um, you know, uh, other than that, uh, they can probably just, you know, go through the pledge levels that are listed there on the Kickstarter page and uh, see what's left to take advantage of. Uh, some of them include, you know, having dinner with the legendary uh, games crew, either at Gen Con or PaizoCon or wherever. Uh, if, if they really want to go for something like that, and we'll we'll tell them all about the uh, the design of of the project, and uh, you know, discuss everything that they want to know about uh, third party publishing and legendary planet and so on. But um, I, I mentioned some of the other bonus content that's going to come along as a result of backing uh, the project. Uh, we've already unlocked uh, when we crossed the 200 backer threshold, we unlocked a, a map and art folio mm-hmm. that's going to be produced. So you're going to get a PDF copy of the maps, uh, including player-friendly maps, meaning unlabeled and don't show the uh, secret doors and things of that nature that the GMs can use uh, to, to show the players. There will also be uh, standalone images of the art that's in the uh, in the adventure path. So, you know, if you want to be able to show your players this is who you're talking to or this is the creature you encounter, you can hold up the art for that. Um, so that's going to be an add-on uh, that's already baked in. It's already We already hit that goal, so it'll be a part of what everybody gets. Uh, even if you just pledge for the uh, for the PDF uh, only version, you'll still get that in electronic copy. Um, we're also going to be uh, producing a player's guide. Um, I know Paizo has done that uh, for all the adventure paths that they've done. We're going to do a similar thing uh, to give folks an idea of uh, what types of characters and choices you know uh, building your character make the most sense for this uh, campaign. Uh, kind of give some guidance around that. That's going to include four new playable alien species that we'll be introducing, and uh, there's also going to be there's also going to be uh, uh, a pre-gen uh, pre-generated characters. So I've been doing uh, sets of pre-generated characters as an adventure path plugin for Legendary Games for a while now for many of the uh, Paizo APs, but uh, we're going to do one for this too. So there'll be eight pre-generated characters, uh, four of whom will use those new playable alien species. And uh, we'll create four other characters using kind of the standard uh, expected uh, races from uh, medieval fantasy world, you know, to take off world and into our multiverse. So there's still a lot more to this than just the adventures. Uh, We've got a lot more content and there'll be even more opportunities as we hit more goals. Uh, we're going to unlock more and more stuff that we can uh, introduce to folks as well to kind of keep upping the value of what you're getting by backing the uh, Kickstarter. Wow. It, I mean, just the fact that you can get seven 
hundred plus pages of professionally designed material for for really a hundred bucks like that is a steal I can't think of anywhere else that you can do that so let's say somebody out there uh, pledges at the $20 level and then they think oh man I really want the rest of this adventure will they have an opportunity to do that in the future will they be able to buy things once the Kickstarter project uh, has uh, you know ended Yes, there is there is a manner in which we're still going to leave open the opportunity for people to back the project a little bit past the Kickstarter. Um, the Kickstarter ends on the 27th of July, and we're going to be at Gen Con with a table with a booth that's shared with uh, Cobalt Press and uh, TPK Total Party Kill Games. Uh, Legendary Games will be there among all three of us, so we have a larger booth collectively among the three of us. And uh, if you swing by our booth, uh, we'll continue to take, uh, in essence, pledges there that uh, people say they want to back the project, and they can still check us out there at Gen Con. Um, and, you know, obviously, once we produce this content, the backers are going to get the content first. But, uh, you know, after that, we'll have the product uh, printed and made available, you know, for sale uh, to the general public, you know, a little bit later than that. So as a backer, you're getting all this additional bonus content. Uh, as a part of your pledge, but you're also getting earlier access to it than anybody else. And, and, you're, and you've got that opportunity, like I said, to make your mark kind of on the Adventure Path and our campaign setting by pledging for some of those, uh, those bonus add-on uh, components that we're offering as well. Well, before we get going, I do want to talk real quick about the uh, assimilation strain. I know. Good, good. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm holding my breath on that one. <laughs> I know, Jim, you had brought it up. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, what is this uh, prelude adventure like? Well, well Neil, Neil can speak to it more, but I'll, I'll give a quick intro. Um, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's written by Tom uh, Phillips. Um, this is Tom's big gateway, I think, into. Uh, adventure design but he's not he's not a a new fellow he's been working on the mechanical side mm -hmm. and he's crafted this wonderful introductory adventure and what the prequel does it allows the gm to say okay i want a greater level of investment i want my players to feel like i'm really th my homeworld is threatened so if i generally run my campaign on galarian or Faerun, they can actually start this campaign on those worlds, whatever world that they like. And, and basically we have provided a setting in a town which is under threat by alien invasion. And the players actually generate their characters from that setting and we abduct them from there. Nice. And, and, and having read it, Tom, Tom well, I, Neil's also a co-author, uh, but uh, T Tom and Neil really have crafted something it's it's horrific. I mean, I, I try I tried for horrific, but it reminded me. I'm an old guy, so I remember the old uh, the first box set of Call of Cthulhu by uh, by by Chaosium, and I'm kind of like this is you know without being Lovecraftian, it's pretty Lovecraftian because there's elements of investigation, and uh, mm. ooh, our aliens are just they're nasty and they're brutal, <laughs> and, and, and and then I kind of abduct them and I put them in the prison planet. But I'm gonna shut up and I'll let Neil take it away from there. Uh, that that's a very good description of everything. I, I I've commented that there's a little bit of a Walking Dead element in the assimilation strain in some ways. There's a little bit of a like I mentioned before the Andromeda strain, which is kind of where the title the assimilation strain took its uh, took its inspiration from. Um, but it, it is very much about a biological viral uh, weapon that's being used to prepare the way 
for an alien incursion. And Jim had mentioned the Clavin before. Um, you know, when let's say there's an evil an, an evil alien species that's out there somewhere in the multiverse, and they're going to try and come to another planet and conquer it. The problem that they always face is is can they bring enough occupying forces to really control it, even if they attack it? And the whole concept of the assimilation strain as a precursor to the Clavin conversion or transformation is that they're creating their own occupying force out of the local inhabitants. And we're not we're not going full Borg with this, you know, from Star Trek, <laughs> I think. But there's elements of that to it as well, because that's these Clavin do become very controllable minions and loyal shock troops uh, from that point forward. And they're meant to be a recurring threat and a recurring enemy throughout the adventure path. So the PCs are going to keep seeing them come up because that's kind of the, the horrific element that's at play for the, these evil aliens that are bent on kind of conquering a significant portion of the multiverse. But uh, they're, they're doing so with a, with a greater goal in mind, and that's kind of what the uh, impact on the, the future campaign setting can be, depending on the outcome and the final adventure. But um, the assimilation strain does have some Cthulhu-esque elements to it. It's very gothic horror-esque in a way but uh beyond that it it's meant to serve multiple purposes i when i proposed this particular adventure to jason as the publisher i said look i, I want this adventure to be the prequel to the adventure path obviously that's the, the the obvious connection but it should also be an adventure that can be a precursor to anything else like another future adventure path that we have too that wants to bring people into our multiverse or it can be a standalone adventure that you can run just to bring an off-world threat into your own campaign setting and not use our campaign setting. So this this adventure is like the ultimate introductory vehicle for what we're building in terms of our of our intellectual property for legendary games uh, to kind of test the waters with what an alien off-world threat might be like if you were to bring it onto your own campaign setting and then determine do you really want to bridge over into our campaign setting or continue to, to use elements that we produce for our campaign setting as things that you can introduce in your own existing world. And that's because we, you know, we know GMs, they invest a lot of money in the campaign settings and the products that they're already using, and, and even a lot of energy if they're doing their own homebrew. And we're not, we're not saying abandon all that and come to us because we've got a greater, you know, mousetrap or a greater uh, campaign setting to use. Um, we're saying you don't need to discard any of that. You can actually still connect that up with us and either enhance what you're already using your homebrew setting for or, you know, bridge over into ours and use elements or as many elements or as few elements as you want from ours uh, as we you know, spin out the broader campaign setting for folks to use. So the assimilation strain is a, a very cagey kind of clever means of connecting things together in a multitude of ways uh, for maximum appeal and maximum use. I will say this, that the cover of this adventure, which you can see uh, on the Kickstarter page, really says it all. Uh, this this looks like it's going to be a great time. Um, <laughs> and it looks like it's going to be a scary, terrifying time. So I am all in for this. I'm sure after listening to this, many of our listeners are as well. When does the Kickstarter wrap up? It's going to wrap up in 15 days. July 27th will be the, uh, the the close window for it. And like I said, that's the lead-in for us as we head off to, uh, to Gen Con uh, for our booth that we'll have there. There you go. So, uh, you know, you might have the assimilation strain in your hand going to Gen Con, and you can play it with some people, which is pretty cool. I'm starting to see the art previews, and uh, they, they really are 
you know, top notch. I don't want to, I don't want to overhype anything, but I'm incredibly impressed with all the art that we've had coming in for, uh, to worlds unknown, even, even down, we have NPC portraits and we have, um, item art and all of it's just been breathtaking. You know, I'm, I'm 46. Okay. So I've, I've been gaming in gaming for quite some time and this is kind of a, a passion product for me, not only because it's been in my brain as long as it has. And I think it's got, uh, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to feel a, uh, a void or at least a, a niche that's, that's kind of gone unfilled so far uh, with Sword and Planet. Uh, there's an opportunity here to make essentially my mark in, in a significant way by producing something that's not really been done before, or at least not on this scale. And as ambitious as the project is, I think we've got the right people doing it. Uh, they're experienced. They're capable. Uh, we will absolutely deliver on this. So anybody who's worried about you know backing the Kickstarter and not seeing it fulfilled, we will we will produce this content. We've we've got a good track record in terms of Kickstarters already. Uh, and uh, you know, like we said before, we're going to have some of this content ready to drop as soon as the Kickstarter is over. And there's not very many that can claim that. But that too is intentional on our part because we want to make sure that uh, you know, we are good stewards of uh, the funding that we receive for this, and we want to. Uh, you know, give people you know confidence in uh, in both us and our ability to deliver not on, not just on this but on future products as well. Where can people find you guys? Can you be found online, Twitter? Do you have personal websites, that sort of thing? Neil, let's start with you. Um, I don't have any personal websites, but you can go to the Legendary Games website. It's www.makeyourgamelegendary.com. Excellent, excellent. And Jim, what about you? I. <laughs> I've been longing for a personal website, but I don't have one yet. I can, I do have a professional author page. Uh, it, yes, it's uh, it's on Facebook. It's uh, Jim Grove's uh, uh, Game Developer and Design. Awesome. Well, we'll link it over at thetomeshow.com, just like we will link everything we've talked about here. You can find the Kickstarter. You can find Legendary Games homepage. You can find it all over at thetomeshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog. It's all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thank you to Jim and Neil for being on the show. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. And extra special thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the roundtable.